or maybe not. Maybe we don't get it today. Awesome. So I guess just jump in and then I'll pop it in Edit there. Edit it in? It's still playing. Yeah. I don't know. Damn. Okay. All right. Go ahead. All right. Well, today we're talking about stuff and things. And it's probably going to be a continuation of our conversation on past lives because we're getting the nudge. It just It's one of those categories that's just coming up and coming up and coming up for us. So we're going to kick it off by continuing the conversation on past lives. But I have a feeling it's going to lead to some other stuff that will surprise both us and you. It always does. I mean, usually does. I mean, last time we stayed on topic quite well. We stayed on topic, but we also kept it kind of vague book a little bit too. I mean, we, we talked, we talked about stuff, but we didn't go into depth about things. And I'd like to explore some of the lives and some of the things that we experienced maybe this time. So that people can kind of, you know, get a clue for, you know, some of the things that got brought up and, you know, why we tend to be the way we are. Because I I have definitely found that the more I have dealt into the past life work, the the more I have found answers to like certain things that are just seem to be completely ingrained in me. Like I couldn't stop being this way if I tried because it is just so me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, things that don't seem like like they're necessarily rooted in this go around and so there's a lot of things about me that I'm like where did this come from because it's not like I had anybody around me teach me this that I'm aware of mm-hmm. and uh you know some of that stuff you get from your past lives so so for example so for example like hmm, I'm like where do we begin how far <laughs> back do we go choose an example um, any example <laughs> okay well so so here's an interesting thing like I had, um, like, just before we started this uh, recording, we were talking about some of our medical stuff and, and different things that have come up, like, um, you know, talking about herbs and using different herbs for different ailments, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the lifetimes that I've been privy to for, for quite a while is a lifetime with a gal that... I refer to as Mary. Mary is the name this was, that this she was took the on first. This was the like, lifetime that came out of the, of the first ones. regression, right? No, no, it didn't. No, the it first, didn't. No, no, the first regression was the little girl in Arizona. That no. was the very first one. Yeah, was it? Yeah, no. yeah, it totally was. It totally was. Believe I thought not. Mary came through in the first. No, Mary came through a little bit later. I think she was like maybe the second or the third. I think she was actually the second. But Mary, I had had inklings of, I just hadn't realized it. I had met Mary already in meditations, um, like since I've been a teenager. And I've seen flashbacks of parts of her lives as a teenager as well. And it was just one of those kind of interesting things that I just, I didn't connect that that's what that was, that that was a past life and that that was me. I didn't know who I was seeing. I felt very connected to them. Um, But Mary, uh, Mary had a very interesting life and it took me a while to figure Mary out because Mary 
appeared to me as someone who was probably in either, I would say between late 20s to early 30s at the very latest. And every time I would see Mary, I would see Mary in kind of like different situations where it started making me think it's like, that seems either way past your previous timeline or way earlier than the previous timeline that I've seen you in. So where are you from? Like what time are you from? And I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, I saw her move from a period that looked almost, almost like medieval to like beyond that. And then I had seen beyond that previous. I, well, I'm trying to come up with a year roundabouts. I would say maybe. I think the latest I've seen her is probably around late 1600s, early 1700s was maybe the latest that I saw her. That was Mm -hmm. kind of more towards the end of her life. But I had also seen her earlier than that. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Why it seemed like she didn't age at all. And she was experiencing all of these different experiences. And it wasn't until um, much, much later in like the progression of like seeing her over and over again that I kind of saw more of like end of life where she act- where she actually aged. But there was a thing to it. And um, one of the things that always came up around her were herbs. One of the first things that she told me because we were looking into some of my medical concerns and asking like if I could be helped and what would help me. And she gave me basically a list of herbs to work with. And it was funny because the list of herbs that she gave me were herbs that I was always very uh, interested in. Like one of them was rosemary. And I was actually very well known in high school for anywhere we went where there was rosemary, I'd pick rosemary and put it in my pocket. So I almost always had rosemary in my pocket as like an extra condiment. Like if you were out eating somewhere and it was particularly bland food, literally I had dried (laughs) rosemary in my pockets and would like crumble it over things. It was, (laughs) I also wore poison rings at that time and would keep salt in my poison rings for one of my best friends who was a, just a junkie for salt. So I would, I would have all of these things on me and like, it was just known. It's like, well, if you steal a sweatshirt from Jamie, it's probably going to have rosemary in the pocket. So (laughs) if you don't want to smell like rosemary all day, you better root through the pockets first and empty those. Um, Not to completely derail the conversation, but it's just (laughs) bringing back such pungent memories of that night that we were working, decorating at the park and Mm -hmm. uh, at, at storybook land. Oh, and yeah. I had never decorated Storybook Land before, but you had. And so we were going around. Those of you who don't know, Storybook Land is a ride um, yeah. at the Big D. <laughs> and it, it's full of miniature scapes of the stories that Disney had told up until that time. And so we were there decorating. And <laughs> we came out reeking of rosemary. 
Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like, mm-hmm. and we got, we went to the the commissary and they had clam chowder that night and the clam chowder had rosemary in it. And we couldn't tell if the clam chowder was over rosemaried or if we were over rosemaried. We were but over rosemaried for sure. We were sliding down these hills that were landscaped with rosemary and it was raining. It was wet. Well, it wasn't raining, but it was like seriously damp outside and the uh, condensation on all the foliage was in water droplet form and we were in our yellow rain slickers and <laughs> Jamie almost took a header into the moat. <laughs> anyway. There's a great picture of it somewhere. I don't know who. I, no, I think Michelle there isn't. Has it somewhere. Who yeah, took yeah, the she picture? Took a, Michelle took a picture of it. Oh, no. So there's a, and there, there is a picture of you holding my legs and oh me my, sliding barely down holding my your stomach. Legs. I was laughing so hard. I know. That her safety net named Heather could not save her. It Almost was. failed. Almost <laughs> she, failed. She was wearing her slip and slide that night and uh, it was inches near, away. It was just fractions. Fractions. Hey, so and somebody had to hang that little wreath on Mole's house. That's exactly. Exactly. There. Mole, Mole oh lives God. out on the water and he needed a Christmas wreath. And I was mm-hmm. laughing so hard. I was completely useless. <laughs> That's the kind but, of friend so, I am. So, so the reason why, the other reason why there's rosemary out there is because they use rosemary in place of like things that are supposed to be cypress trees around the, because you can prune it to look like and you can keep it tiny. Right. So that's why they use the rosemary. But you end up brushing up against all of it and then being wet on top of that. And you're like, wow, I really smell like rosemary. Really, really. Yeah. Anyway, but sorry. I didn't mean to derail it. I, just, I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> it's a that good memory story. is so strong. Stay. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. Probably more than you. Okay, Probably. Back to rosemary. <laughs> but so she, <laughs> so she gave me so she gave me this list of of herbs to to use and it was like rosemary and milk thistle and lavender and like a couple more and I wrote them all down and you know like I already had the history with rosemary I already had history with lavender I've had a long history now with milk thistle and using milk thistle for various things but as I kind of you know, continued. And I was trying to figure out this mystery of, you know, why does she always appear? Like, I can't quite nail down a, like a time for her. And, um, I can't remember if it came to me in another meditation or if it came to me in another session, but I very, I finally put, um, two and two together that uh she had been in the scene and she had been in the scene not in the scene but an a scene and a scene so so Essenes were a group of individuals um a lot of people would relate them you you if you are familiar with Bible stories, then you have probably heard a little bit about Essenes from Bible stories or other religious text. Um, Essenes were thought of as 
as a particular type of religious sect that spent a lot of time um, recording information. They, they were big on gathering knowledge, recording uh, and transcribing information and basically keeping that information safe, keeping that information um, hidden from the, from the general populace. Um, if you've heard of uh, Mount Carmel, uh, Mount Carmel was one of the areas where the Essenes were established and they would have done a lot of their living like either underground in caves there were cave systems um where they they did their work and and that's kind of how they transported things back and forth and kept things safe um and i realized that uh she had definitely been in a scene but then I had also been introduced to the book, uh, Anna, Grandmother of Jesus, and that is by Claire Hartsong. I know I've talked about this book before, uh, but as they started exploring the life of Anna, I realized that Anna had been in a scene and basically so had that whole family. And as she started revealing things, I started remembering things and could tie a lot of these kind of missing pockets of time and places and like, how did she get to certain places and why? Because they didn't, none of them seemed particularly connected. Um, but that book really helped me tie up a lot of, a lot of loose ends in that way. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with that book, basically what it describes, and, and it definitely helped me as just on a, on a personal note, individually, uh, I grew up in a religious family, but I didn't particularly gel with the, with how they were religious. I didn't exactly gel with, um, the ideals that they held and the way that they talked about their religion and the way that they worshiped, it didn't, it didn't settle well with me. And this definitely like all the questions that I had when I was really young and was like, well, how does this work? If this is the way that it, supposed to be then how does this work i don't understand how those two things go together i don't understand how you can be like bashing on people and then turn around and say this because that doesn't seem to go together like a lot of the fire and brimstoney brimstoney stuff that comes with being a southern baptist which is what a lot of my family was um just never sat right with me i didn't see uh god as a vindictive god i didn't see you know hellfire and brimstone i didn't see you know jesus going around damning people like that was not 
what 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 I was familiar with. And I didn't know where I was familiar with what I was familiar with until I started picking this up and kind of sewing some of these pieces together. And it was very interesting because it really does start to put together a lot of the different pieces of things that I have collected throughout my life as far as um, looking into different types of religion and actually setting that in a historical setting and looking at like when certain things took place, what was going on historically in the areas where those things were happening, what was going on from a political standpoint in those areas, what was going on, you know, outside of that religious text bubble, because in I a think historic. a lot of that gets, yeah, and actually piecing it together historically, because, you know, when you're, when you're only, when you're zooming in with a very, you know, fine lens to concentrate it on one little area, you forget what's going on in the rest of the world. And basically what this opened up to, oh, and the other question that I had, which I think is a question that a lot of people had, what in the hell happened to Jesus between the ages of like seven and, and freaking 30, 30, like, 32, somewhere in there. Like what happened? Like what happened? Where mm -hmm. the hell was he? It Where just, did he go? Just sort of went away. Yeah. He's there. He's, you know, he's birthed into the world. There's much fanfare. And then he floats out of existence and then yep. reappears boom jesus is back everybody and yeah. and and then he's gone again like what the hell um you know so i had a lot of questions about that and it was one of the, anytime i wanted to ask anything like that man was i shot down quick by family it's like well you don't you don't question the bible you don't question you know and it's like <laughs> i'm not i like I just want to know what happened to the man. That's all. Like, <laughs> did he go to elementary school? Did he get A's? Did he hate math like I did? Like, you know, I don't know. Like, I was, you know, I was six, seven years old and I didn't understand. I didn't know how things worked back then. I just figured the way things work now is the way the things work then. And in it, like, if we're, I mean, come on, if we're still following the same book, then surely. <laughs> nothing needed to it be must be relevant because somehow. everything was the was the same yeah um so in reading the anna books she's put a lot of things into context where it's like well at the same time that jesus or as a lot of people would know yeshua or yahweh uh was coming up in the world and growing up so was buddha you know these are these are two incredibly significant uh and historic religiously and otherwise individuals who were coming up at the same time and the way the story reads in the anna books it all finally freaking made sense to me um one of the things that was available to Essenes um, was different religious teachings from all over the world. They had access to a lot of the Eastern teachings and Eastern beliefs, and they believed in uh, sharing that knowledge. It was a lot of the knowledge that they were scribing and taking in and kind of, you know, tucking away 
and it was trying to make things accessible for others eventually when it was the right time to deliver that information. The problem was that you also had Rome kind of coming into their own at the same time and really making it difficult for anybody who, who wanted to think outside of their terms. Um, surprise, surprise, that happens over and over again in <laughs> a lot of places and the, you know, mm-hmm. with a lot of different peoples. Um, so there's this really beautiful melding of, of different types of practices, including those in the very early times of the Essenes who had taken on immortality vows, basically. They were, um, they were living, uh, the life of an immortal. And this was done through some very interesting energy practices. And um, it's described in the book. I won't go into it in, in detail. If that's something that you want to kind of read for yourself, I would highly suggest reading the Anna books. Um, but one of the things that she brought up, which I always felt was interesting, was that, um, you know, she she stops at a certain point because she says, you know, the way things we the way we did things then is not necessary now. You don't have to go through all of that anymore. But that is also the time that I really started picking up on things like um, the the sound work and like how some of those things functioned. As I started reading things, I started remembering how sound and frequency was involved and how the energy work was involved and how some of the things that they um, were kind of explaining or alluding to, like how that all kind of worked. And so that definitely woke up that portion of me. And so that's when I really started. I, I was already into sound. I was already into music. I w- my family was very a very musical family. So it's something that I grew up with. But that definitely, you know, spun me in that particular direction. And then as far as, um, like, how the rest of her life was kind of put together, I realized that she had been leading an Essene life for quite a while, would have been, like, previous to... Uh, the birth of Jesus and then would have carried that over into like after he had already gone. And then that also leads into work in areas like Avalon and Glastonbury um, in England and uh, areas of France where different sects of people were and also Egypt. So there's a lot of areas that I have been very much uh, interested in and had ties to and have felt pulls to for a really long time. And it kind of started matching those places up. So my question to you about Mary was her life, was she living her life as 
one continuous, uh, immortal sort of consciousness, or was it uh, rebirthed over and over again in the way that we do it now? So it was both. So she had time in the beginning where she would have like gone through kind of how we do it now. And then she would have gone into periods where um, sometimes it was a conscious thing. Like she'd be aware that this was something that was going to need to happen. Like she kind of. What was some start. Uh like that she was going to need to um, go through the process of being basically regenerated. Okay. Um, So she had, she had periods where she would be rebirthed, reincarnated mm -hmm. traditionally, Mm -hmm. but she also had periods where she would go through some sort of uh, mystical regeneration process that would continue that same consciousness on through another timeline that perhaps wouldn't yes. be accessible by one living creature on the planet. Yes. And she wouldn't necessarily be in the same body or be, well, she would be in the same body, but she wouldn't necessarily take on all the same physical attributes of the person that she was before or take on the identity of the person that she had just been previously she would have transformed only it's like physically it's the same man how do i explain this because this is how do you explain it i'm dying to know (laughs) it's tricky well it's it it is it's tricky it's like i can it it makes sense in my in my head because Mm -hmm. i've kind of seen how it works And so it makes sense, but at the same time, I could see how explaining it to somebody, they can go, wait, what? (laughs) Well, isn't it it along the lines of um, the butterfly going into the chrysalis, becoming goo, or the caterpillar going into the chrysalis, becoming goo, and coming out a butterfly? I mean, is that – that's pretty much it, right? That was the process. That's That's pretty fair. Yeah. Okay. So it's so okay. Well, then how about this? You wouldn't get buried. It's not mm-hmm. like you would go through a traditional death and be buried or be cremated and exposed of. Um, you would continue with with help. And I'm I'm seeing you making faces over there. Are you getting anything I'm interesting? Sorry, the squirrel is back. Oh no, no, squirrel. And all I squirrel's hear is interested scratch, scratch, in this scratch, topic. Scratch, 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 scratch. Oh my gosh, the squirrel is not interested in this pro- topic. The squirrel <laughs> is interested in wrecking my brand new roof. And I was like I cannot mm, the way I've been handling <laughs> no. it for those of you who do not know, uh there is a squ- I just got a new roof put on the house. It was hella expensive. It was my first like real adult purchase. <laughs> and um, when that happened, they raised the skylight so that there's kind of like a, a soffit. And this soffit has attracted this squirrel who likes to either gnaw at it or claw at it. And it creates this terrible sound because it's on a vaulted ceiling. Way too much information, I know. Long story short, the only way to make him stop is to go out there and throw lemons at him. <laughs> <laughs> Because he just oh, keeps going funny. and it drives me nuts. 
Okay, let's just, for shits and giggles, let's just see if he stops on his own. Okay. Anyway. I, you never know. I, <laughs> I might have to pause this to go throw lemons at my roof. You can, you can go throw lemons at your roof if you need to. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. I have to throw lemons. I'll be right back. Okay, go throw lemons. I'll I'll con- I'll continue to talk. So so the interesting thing about like going through that process is then realizing how many eras she was actually able to then move through um with a conscious remembering of what she had been through previously so that was basically the purpose in in doing that is because all of these people that were involved um in this type of life were basically continuing to collect this information um again, from, from different, uh, I wouldn't even really say religious, but more philosophical uh, ways of life. They were taking this information on. Um, these other masters of, I, I, I would really look at it like masters of energy, masters of frequency from different walks of life, from different eras, and they were picking up on all of this information and um and taking this information down and then basically keeping it safe from those who who didn't want you to uh behave or act any differently than them or didn't want you to have different views you know so you know it it's just a really interesting way to see, um, you know, all of this different type of different type of philosophies on spirituality in general um, coming together and intertwining. And so Basically, if you're familiar with the Anna books and that kind of timetable, you're basically looking at from, uh, it would be pre the birth of Mary that we know as Mother Mary, um, and it would take us up to, um, Ah, pretty late into um, France's spiritual turmoil. Um, And I am just going to tell Heather that she needs to unmute herself. I'm here. There she is. I'm like, you're going to have to unmute yourself. I wasn't expecting you to keep talking. Yeah, I just I figured I'd keep. I thought we were just going to sp- edit out the <laughs> the dead air. Sorry, <laughs> chaos. All right, that's all right. Continue. 
I can do that too. So basically what I was talking about was the fact that, you know, it's pretty interesting. So for Mary in particular, she lived from an era that would have been, um, it felt very close to Anna's timeline as well. So if anybody is familiar with some of the lore around Anna, the grandmother of Jesus, um, it was thought that she lived over 900 years. So the, the interesting thing that I was kind of bringing up about why you would do it this way instead of a, you know, what, what we would understand reincarnation to be now would be that these individuals would not go through a period of forgetfulness. They wouldn't forget the lifetime that they had before they continued it forward. So all of the information that they would have gathered previously would have stayed with them. And that was part of the deal in gathering, continuing to gather other information and be scribes and write this information down. They were, they were threading all of this together and keeping these conversations going, keeping these philosophies going, keeping this type of spirituality that was very definitely not religion in any way that we know it now um, going. And so she probably would have been, um, she would have been previous to who we know as mother Mary, which would have been Anna's daughter, uh, before her birth and would have gone on to somewhere in like the more religious turmoil of moments of, of France. So I'm going to guess. Yeah. Like either late 1600s or early 1700s where things kind of started getting very dicey because you were also kind of mixing with the church of England and, and like that had thrown another wrench in the works and. Okay. But you've also had memories from lifetimes that would have happened during that lifespan that were not married. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that so, means concurrent lives. Mm, concurrent lives and walk-on roles. Well, and this um, is the interesting part because I think this is going to sort of twist a lot of people's minds who haven't been into this for very long. Mm -hmm. Should they stumble across this episode, they're going to be like, wait, what? Past lives are past <laughs> lives. And they've probably still got a very linear idea of time mm -hmm. because that's how we experience it in this realm. Um, for those of you who maybe have not approached that topic yet, uh, as brief as I can make it, we essentially, on the other side, there is no time. Time is a byproduct of the way this existence plays out for us. And so when we say past lives, we are referring to that linear timeline where we know that 1984 came before 2023. However, from the other side, you're accessing all these things at the same time. Yeah. And many of us, if not all of us, have multiple lifetimes going on at the same time. Sure. And it's different aspects of us embodied in the physical. And that's really that's, what the past life yeah. scape looks like. It's not one at a time or in order or this no. happened prior to this 
everything all at once. And some of those things look like supernatural lives that you as a human can't fathom, but wish you mm-hmm. wish existed. The, the, the dragons, the unicorns, the mythical creatures, the fairies, the pixies. I've had all of those in session. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they were very real for the people experiencing them from this human timeline that we're in. And all of the celestial beings that you can think of, you know, gods, goddesses, of- demons, celestials, all of that is happening at the same time. Yeah. All of that is happening at the same time. And and remember the the spirit, no matter what, keeps going. So even in these physical quote unquote downtimes that they would have while they were going through an, a regeneration process, the spirit was still traveling. It was still going places. It was still experiencing things. It was still, you know, other things were happening. So that could have very well been, you know, I'm taking a break from this particular body. I'm going to go jump into another one. It sounds really bizarre, but once you kind of start going through the process of piecing things together, it's like it helps to actually make sense of some of the really weird And it's like, oh, that actually, yes, that checks. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I can feel that because, because you can also, like, I have also felt where, where that Mary identity, that Mary spirit, that Mary energy has experienced some of the other things that I have experienced. I'm like, well, how is she involved in that? Because I don't feel like I was her in that moment. But yet she was with me and it's like, well, yeah, it does. she's always with you. And it's kind of that way, basically, with any of the lives that, that you've experienced, they're always with you. And I think that's one of the kind of cool things about coming into now and starting to thread all of that stuff together. And, you know, like when they give me that term of the multidimensional ancestral self, Again, that is what they're referring to. There are all of these multidimensional pieces of you that are now starting to float back together. And you can think of, we can think of us now as probably the most whole we've had a chance to be in, I'm going to say, ever. (laughs) Well, since because, everything, sh- yeah, forever, but especially, <clears throat> particularly since everything shifted into a patriarchal, dom- patriarchy dominated yeah. existence. Yeah. That's really when but, things shifted from that, you know, there was a time when it was matriarchal and then it came into a balance of masculine and feminine. And just like we're coming into a balance of masculine and feminine now, back then when it came into the balance of masculine and feminine, it was the patriarchy's turn to come up. And that's the cycle that we are now starting to complete and everything is shifting. Mm -hmm. That's why we're talking spiritually. That's why we're having past life regressions more than ever. That's why we feel like we're awakening from the upside down. That's why all of this is happening is everything shifting again. We're ending a large timeline uh, maybe yeah. ending is the wrong word. We are transitioning into a new timeline from an old timeline, and that's bringing us back into balance. And that's why the discussion about the divine masculine and divine feminine is coming up so much these days. From everybody you you turn to, they're talking about you have to balance your divine masculine and your divine fem- feminine. And no matter how annoyed you may get at the rhetoric, 
it doesn't make it any less true. But if you look through every big period of time, there was something going on and kind of like the the underbelly the underbelly of the spiritual world at large, or there was some sort of big shift or big idea that was being brought up and, and kind of dealt with. I mean, if you look at what was, what was going on in at kind of like the, the onset of the, um, of the early 1900s with the Fox sisters and the spiritual movement then and things like mediumship and you know uh, alongside all of the you know parlor tricks was also real work in the in those areas real discoveries in those well, areas and if you think about it what are parlor tricks but play when yeah. the magic is not quite supported enough to manifest in a dependable way in the material realm what would humans do but recreate what they have experienced in a different way previously? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that was, that was a really big breakthrough in those ideas starting, starting to be um, talked about again, starting to make their ways into everyday conversation, um, you know, where, yeah, you were conversing in the parlor, you were inviting groups of people over and holding parties and, and you were going to big lecture halls and, you know, seeing people speak and you were talking about things like, you know, specters and spirit and, and angelic forces and all of those things, because we had been in a period where that had kind of been hushed for a while. And if you look back and back and back, there was always a moment in history where, where that was starting to be brought up again. I mean, look at um, like when I was a, a teenager in high school, I will never forget the first time I was introduced to uh, Lady Connington's press fairy book and, <laughs> and things of that era. And then seeing back in the 1800s, actually 17 and 1800s, where, you know, huge groups of people would, would gather to talk about fairies and, and the like. And those were national you know national stories that were very endeared to the hearts of of many and to this day if you go into certain parts of england or ireland or scotland there are a lot of people who would fight you if if you were to you know cross a fairy ring or do something that you know was thought of as you know ill will towards towards the little folk it's just not done. It's not proper decorum because, you know, these are the people that you know, these are, these are the little elementals that will come in and take your laundry off the line and, you know, and, and things like that in the middle of the evening. So there's always going to be something like that that comes up, but I think we're, we're in a period right now where, we've kind of been gathering all these little bits and pieces of these stories. And it's almost like the moment that we're in currently is a collection point where we're starting to take all of those little bits and pieces and we're making the anthology. 
we're we're creating the anthology of all of those different lifetimes of all of those different works of all of the different experiences and tales um that we've learned that we've tucked away and and have hid from ourselves and then rediscovered we're we're putting all of those pages back together and we're creating the anthology of all of those ideas so that we can kind of pick from them going forward and you know decide where that energy fits and what we can do with that information and you know how is how how do we want it to help us build our our future what do we want that to look like what do we want that to involve what resources do we have available to us where we can um patch them together and create something new that feels that feels better that feels more authentic to all of the things that we know instead of narrowing down you know to some you know very what what amounts to some very tiny ideas about how things work we're we're opening it back up again to literally it can work however you would want it to work because we have all of those experiences so i think that lifetime of or lifetimes or that huge expansive amount of time if you think about it in a linear way of mary has really opened me up to so many different types of experiences and when i think about it now there's so much more that i can have a different outlook about that i can open my heart about that i can have more compassion about um i used to feel very um very isolated and very angry towards the religion that i grew up with as a child i felt very separated from it um i felt very unwanted in those realms um and this was really something that helped me to figure out what my space was within all of that and it helped me to realize that i didn't have to throw away all of those stories or all of those things like to this day even though i am not i am not a person you will find in a church on sunday generally speaking i love love old churches old cathedrals especially the more like ornate um uh you know uh, a lot of the cathedrals of of europe man are they amazing and man are they built with some purpose and i can understand some of that now some of which was carried over from from other thoughts from other ideas um from different types of spiritual practices that had to be hidden at the time in order to survive um i'll never forget the first time i walked into a a very early um irish catholic church that had been around 
I want to say since the 1200s. And stepped foot and heard the resonance on the floors of just stepping. And it sent chills throughout my body. And it felt amazing. And it also felt intimidating. But I could step into a place like that and not feel like an outsider because I had patched enough together to say it doesn't matter that I'm not Catholic. I still have ties to these places, these structures in ways that goes far beyond its religious context. And nobody can take that away from me. Um, so it's, it's interesting to be able to take some of these things that you may have looked at in um, a very isolated and and kind of traditional frustrated or scorned way and, mm-hmm. and remold it for yourself and go, Oh, well, that's just, you know, that's their use of this space. That's not my use of this space. And knowing what I know, I also know that there are no thunderbolts that are going to come and strike me down <laughs> for thinking the way I do um, or practicing what I practiced. Um, trying to think of one of what was it one of the other things that she showed me that I was like immediately got to me that had to do with the church specifically oh okay I remember what it was Um, so in later in a later progression of of her identity um being in areas where they would have been connected with druids and and some of those teachings and kind of working together with some of those peoples um she had she had as as part of a initiatory process been marked with a crescent moon on her forehead as did a lot of other women at that time for the particular work that they were doing. And when she moved into a time when she had eventually taken vows to be a nun, she showed me that the reason for the headdress that, that they were wearing was to cover their crescent marks on their foreheads so that the headdress came down and would cover that and the you know all of all of the the additional adornments would basically cover some of the previous markings that they had identified themselves with so that they could continue doing some of that work but kind of basically undercover 
And I was like, literally oh God, undercover, makes, uh, literally undercover. And I was like, that makes so much sense. <laughs> I could feel it. And I could feel that kind of that tug and that push and that pull of it at the time of feeling like I don't really want to have to cover this up. So I'm a little bit angry about that. But also at the same time, feeling like I'm a little I may be a little bit angry, but I can move beyond that because I know it's more important to me to carry some of these, be able to carry some of these traditions over and be able to still do some of the work that I'm doing and weave that into, you know, just being able to continue the energy work that I had started and still being able to work with people, even if they don't understand how I'm delivering that, that that work is still carrying on and that it's still carrying on from so many generations ago. We're talking, you know, Sumerian traditions that turned into Egyptian traditions, you know, like, like Hathor traditions that turned into later Egyptian traditions that turned into, you know, basically like what eventually became the Essenes and then what became after that and then kind of wove its way into places where it didn't necessarily belong just so that it could continue. Um, I find that fascinating to this day. I'm still learning more as I go, but like mm-hmm. that was a huge one. I've, I've, I feel like Mary is one of those parts of me that really helps me to understand all of the things that I've been involved in. She is, she is a link back to so many different eras and so many different experiences. And she is so, she is the one life that I can look at and say she is so even. She is so balanced even when she gets rocked a little bit, it is still with an under a complete understanding of everything that she's been through. And she is so solid and it's really comforting to know that we'll do that for you. Well, you know, or, or plus <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's somewhere around there, you know, it's like for however long she lived, she, she, she went through a lot, but she was able to, through her practices, keep things linked together and kind of keep that that balance no matter what she went through and so I am so grateful for having that portion of myself I I feel like she's a huge part of my higher self because she's been through so much of what I've been through um and every time I feel like I get lost in you know in walking through all of those different lives she's she's kind of a footlight in you know, helping me see, oh, no, this this path was connected over here. This is how we got there. And it's like, oh, thank you, because <laughs> I can figure <laughs> that out. Um, and then, you know, and, and really gives me a good place to kind of go back to to remember, you know, when I experience things that are separate, like um, Alexander Carlyle, who was connected with the titanic it's like that's that's a life that was i'm going to guess a walk-on 
I think I came in maybe a little bit before the Titanic venture was started and I left shortly after him leaving Harlan and Wolf. Um, but I, for, for me, I think it was being, being able to experience an individual who was so incredibly creative and passionate about his work, but understood when something wasn't working that, that could see a situation and say, no matter how much time I've poured into this, no matter how much I love it, it's not working for me. And the things that were important to me aren't, aren't going to be followed through with. So it's so okay that I walk away. The Alexander Carlyle lifetime helps you in this incarnation have a lesson of letting go, surrender and mm-hmm. release. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even even when there's something that I'm really passionate about and can find a lot of joy and love in, I can also see that um, you know, there might be times when the entire purpose for that may have just been to feel joy, to um, you know, to feel the joy of creation and then be able to step back from it and say, okay, now it has to go on and finish, finish its mission. Ultimately the Titanic's mission was to enlighten things and move things along in, in not only travel, but also, um, you know, in, in politics, in business, look how many, yeah, it was a huge wake up call. Oh, essentially. Yeah. It wasn't just like- it wasn't just that it revolutionized safety procedures for ocean liners. It was a wake-up call to the people who were taking for granted the amount of um technical advancement they had just stepped into. It was a huge um way of alerting a large amount of people that if you are irresponsible with te- this technology as it transforms and evolves, you will there will be great loss of life. Well, it was also a huge wake-up call to to how much we had um, put in the hands of a handful of individuals as far as power and business. I mean, which is an, a swoop, lesson we're having to learn right now again. again. Yeah, <laughs> but like in in one fell swoop, it took out how many huge heads of business, and then mm-hmm. those businesses struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, trying trying to go forward, trying to figure out, well, how do we make this work without this one individual? Because they were basically, you know, holding the keys to everything. Um, you know, it, there was a lot in that, but I can definitely see how that lifetime helped me to understand that, you know, it you don't always have to be there to see something all the way through you might only be there to get something started or you might be jumping into the middle to help bridge the gap between something else it's i think we have um you know we we grew up with tales of superheroes and and we kind of want to see something go from you know concept to 
you know, full fruition sometimes and that it doesn't always happen that way. And I think I, I still have a hard time with it, but I have, I have a different take on what's happening okay. with that sort of thing. Um, instead of seeing it from the perspective of I walked into that lifetime after it started and I left perhaps before it ended, for example, um, I think walk-ons as they're referred to, I think Dolores Cannon was the first one to talk about walk-ons or walk-ins. Um, I think those lifetimes are when it comes to past life regression, it's not necessarily – it's so hard to explain because they're, they're showing me that it's both and I understand that it's both. But for me, the better way to look at it is that when you go into regression, you are going into regression to learn something that is going to help you with the lifetime that you're currently in. And so it's not necessarily that that was you that you're experiencing. And this was a big bone of contention for me when I first started doing regression work. I was like, of course it's me. If I'm remembering, it's me. You know, I, I had a very strong attachment to the identity. Um, <laughs> but it's not about that attachment to the identity because at the end of the day, past lives look more, less like a, a timeline with notch marks in it on a linear surface and more like a Venn diagram. And you're going to see the lifetime that you need to see in order to impact you in the way that you need to be impacted in order to move and advance forward in this life and this life mission. So it sure. doesn't necessarily and mean that that is, quote, your past life in terms of if you're having just a segment of a memory from a lifetime, then you are having a memory of something that is going to help you in this lifetime. And so it doesn't really matter if that was you or if that was someone else's. And there's sure. a lot of debate about this between regressionists and people who study this sort of thing or look into it in any way. But my personal belief is it's, it wasn't really your lifetime. You were riding sidecar in a nonlinear timeline. And because you did that, that work to remember that piece of it at that moment in this timeline, your timelines were bridged. And so in that way, yes, you walked into that lifetime. But to think of it as I was up there, wherever there is, maybe if you think of up there as heaven, quote unquote, which we don't think that way. But if you think of it as heaven or up there, I was up there, whatever that means. And then I came down to be in this lifetime. It, it's not quite so concrete. It's not quite so linear. It is a lot more um, fluid than that. And so when you are having a – Dolores Cannon – always referred to regressions as time travel. Mm -hmm. and, and that's partially, if not entirely, what she meant was when you are having a regression and you were having memories of a, a life past uh, or even a life future, you are bridging those timelines with your consciousness. And so you are time traveling, mm -hmm. as crazy as that sounds. And so, yes – you're that person and no, you're not. And yes, you did walk in and no, you didn't. It, both are true. You know what I mean? And it's just, mm -hmm. to me, that's where I get really fascinated with things because to think of it as just like, well, I had a partial life as this person. Mm. 
maybe, kind of, sort of, but not quite, not the way we think about having a partial life. Yeah, no, I was very connected to, I was very connected to aspects of that life and Mm -hmm. very particular lessons of that life. So like when I see him, I, I don't get caught up in, um, I don't get caught up in, in like, uh, connections to his family, um, or, or anything like that. I'm, I got, I got caught up in connections to his tools, mm-hmm. to his craft, to his creative energy. Um, I resonated with that creative energy, with that that need to, once you birth something like that, see it through. And what he did help me to understand that sometimes the best thing for you is to walk away so that you can continue to create again. Because it was very obvious that um, you know, his, his wishes, his plans, it, it, it stopped being his creation at some point, somebody else took over the powers that be took over. They started changing things. They started going in a different direction and it was no longer his, that it had, it had, he had, uh, cut energetic ties with the project because he couldn't see it to fruition the way he had envisioned it. It just wasn't going to happen. And it would have destroyed him in that sense, in that creative sense, had he continued, he would have been, you know, shoved down into a little box and, and put away in the corner because the powers that be were never going to allow him to see his plans through so walking away like he does what was his way of empowering himself of saying you know i'm i'm sorry i can't i can't finish this for you i'm i'm not going to finish this for you i don't care how long i've been here and how long i've been working on this um i don't like what you're doing with it and i'm 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 walking away you well and essentially it it was i'm not going to i'm not going to allow you to turn me into a murderer yeah in my complacency and my compliance and that's really important um and that's a stark contrast that is an easy lesson to learn from when you already resonate with his story and that's what regressions bring about they bring about that resonance with a story that uh, enables you to move forward in a better way in your own life. Sure. And at the end of and the like day, if- it doesn't really matter if you were really that person, if you were really there, quote unquote, there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're still attached to the idea of I had to be physically embodied in that lifetime in order to consider that lifetime mine, it really, for learning purposes, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. No, I got, I definitely got what I needed to out of that. And 
it's and it's funny because that particular lesson has so many facets to it and it applies to so many other lifetimes. There are so many other lifetimes where I've seen that. I've felt myself come up against the same type of situation and I can go, oh, I see what I, I see how I handled it right there and I see how I handled it right here. And I have amassed so much information about that now that the perspective is is really huge now when it comes to something like that. You know, it's like, you know, we, I think we, there's, there's this kind of, uh, I don't know that I would necessarily call it an attachment to fame necessarily, but maybe an attachment to an attachment to having a large impact. Um, and the sometimes our our picture or our idea of what a large impact is is incredibly skewed you know what what does that mean exactly does that mean that uh it affects you know it affects the entire world and it's like well i have news for you whether you are you know the tiniest peon in the corner that you've think has you know barely any connection with the people around you and and surely your life doesn't impact anyone really or you know there's 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 really no value there up to you know here's somebody who invented you know post-its yeah post-its because post-its <laughs> are great they impact me heavily um, life-changing life-changing uh, but you know, no, no matter what the scale of that is, absolutely everybody has a has a large impact. And I'm I'm starting to be more comfortable with that now. I'm starting to to learn that now because I have more perspective through all of these experiences. I am starting to understand where even the tiniest thing can be hugely impactful. You have no idea. Um, yeah, but I, I think that's, especially right now, that's something that we're all kind of, uh, trying to figure out and trying on in different ways, you know, and we, the, the ideas that we're grappling with now out in the world seem to be such large ideas that it seems like, you know, and unless you have a really big contribution to one of those ideas, you're, your life is very insignificant and small and it's simply not true. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that that's not true, but it is. I've, I've seen, I feel like I've seen too much at this point, um, to not understand how impactful that can be because I've experienced it through all of these other lifetimes and all of these other lives where, even these, you know, little fragments of lives have been so hugely impactful to me right now. Um, you know, that I, I, I have to stop and, and pause and take time and, and thank them for, for those lessons, because I'm sure the me in that particular moment felt probably very small 
and felt like, well, I'm not going to amount to anything or, or what do I have to show for my life? Or what did I do? Who did I impact? Who did I influence? I didn't influence anyone. Well, you did because you influenced someone lifetimes away from you. Um, dimensions away from you to change their life. And that's the difficult part. That's the difficult part of this new understanding of reality, because you cannot see necessarily how you're affecting things. And because we've been so, it's been so ingrained in us that, um, the only thing we affect is what we can see or experience when we can when we can experience the our impact on our environment, that's when we know we've accomplished something. And it's really difficult when you open up the field to include past selves, future selves, ancestral connections, um, maybe not even ancestral connections. Because when Jamie reached back into Alexander Carlyle's life, there was it, there was a handshake there. There was an energy transference that cut both ways. So it wasn't just his life informing her about her life. It was also her perspective informing his perspective. And he may not have – the the Alexander Carlyle that exists consciously in his time and realm may not have picked up on that consciously, but that's all part of the unconscious. And that mm-hmm. informs him. So her little butterfly wings of going into – um, a past life memory of him impacted his decisions at that time, which is crazy town to think about, but it can't as above, so below, as below. within, so without. Yeah. Y- you can't not affect whatever you touch. And I don't just yeah. mean physically touch. I mean, whatever you think about, whatever, when you change your perspective on something, you are changing the world. Because we are all energetically connected. It's all this elastic amoeba sort of thing going on. And so when you change something about you, you are taking energy out of one direction or one pot and you're putting it into another one. And you're tipping yeah. a scale somewhere. You know, it's it's interesting because um, it also made me think of just, well, just what you were talking about. It also made me think of a meditation that I had. Oh, many, many salons ago. Um, and it was one where at the time, the way I saw it was all of the grandmothers, um, different generations of women who I looked at, who felt and held a type of grandmother energy for me, had all stepped forward and were thanking me. This was when I was really just dipping my toes into the the whole soul retrieval work, the shadow work, the trying to work all of these things out. So this is even previous to the regressions. And I saw them as grandmother energy, and they all stepped forward in a line and kind of encircled me and thanked me for the work that I was doing. And it was incredibly emotional. Um, and they all said, thank you. Thank you so much for 
stepping forward and doing this, you're doing what we couldn't do. And I just had a flashback to that particular meditation and that memory of that energy coming forward. And as I look at it now, they weren't grandmothers, they were me. So that's all of those different me's from multiple timelines who only made it to a particular point who kind of had to just keep passing that energy forward until it got to a space where it was nurtured and safe and held and supported enough to where it could continue. And that's where we're at now. Right. And so that's, you know, that's a crazy thing to wrap your head around. And you have, you know, experiences like that. And it's, it's funny now getting to go back and see that and see that in a much different way. Yeah, that's crazy. Heavy, like, but that's it's heavy. It's it's heavy, but it's hugely impactful. Like mm-hmm. I remember, like if I if I realize it now, because I can even see kind of like I remember at the time it was all very um, like dark silhouettes, and it's like now I can see I can see it a little more clearly, like some of the darkness of has lifted and I can, I can see a little more detail and I can feel um, one of the energies was um, from a person that is actually from a, from a life that's actually found in my ancestral line now. And she, um, She had gifts that she couldn't explore because she was part of a family that was connected to royalty. So she was a part of the court, a part of that kind of sideline of, you know, you have to look and act and do things a certain way. And one of her contributions was that she built a fairy garden. And I believe that fairy garden still exists. And it was her way of being able to imbued, infuse her magic, her gifts into this little spot of land. And, you know, that that manor house was open to the public at different points. And I believe still exists today. And... Um, I find that incredibly special, you know, I, and I'm, I know that at the time she felt very stuck and very frustrated and very small and very much like she couldn't contribute and she couldn't do the things that she was longing to, um, But she did a lot by just doing that one thing that felt very small to her at the time. And that energy has continued to be moved forward and carried forward. And I'm I'm sure that, you know, she didn't realize that 
that was going to be so impactful. But those are the kind of things that I'm talking about is like being able to go back now and say, yeah, but somewhere that buried that in my subconscious and I was able to, you know, follow that lifeline. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, since we thought about, since we talked about like the ships and things, the, the, the guideline ropes that were, you know, along the staircases and sides of the ship so that you could make it through and in harsh waters, I feel like a lot of those lives where it may have seemed insignificant, the things that they were doing, that's what they were doing is they were giving, they were giving us things to hold on to Mm -hmm. um, things that were going to be important in the future that, that we could use as a guideline of energy as a, a drop of resonance or frequency that we needed to help us, you know, get back on track or, or find our path or ignite a spark of creativity or passion. Um, they're, All of those they instances might... became, they became seeds yeah, to support the work Absolutely. that we're doing right now. Absolutely. And that's, um, yeah, it's really cool to sit with that and think of, how that energy gets to come full circle. And it just, it makes so much sense. Um, when I see some of the work that's been done over the years and kind of where we're at now, energetically, I, I see these beautiful webs, light webs intertwined all over the planet and all of these great intersection points and it's so much stronger now than it had been it's so well supported now even though there's so much craziness going on and there's a lot that still feels unstable and unsure that's that's always how it feels as you're letting go of something and moving into something else it's always going to feel unsafe and unsure and frustrating and scary because you're moving into a fresh version that you don't have history with yet that haven't created scars yet but that also means that you're kind of free to do whatever feels right to do sometimes it's just hard figuring out what that you know quote unquote right thing is and really what that right thing is is doing exactly what feels um what feels comfortable and sometimes what feels comfortable doesn't feel comfortable it's like well (laughs) i like doing i like doing this i would enjoy doing this but I don't know how to sustain myself doing that I don't know how to make my world look that way because that feels like a fantasy that feels like Mm -hmm. you know something I've been told is too risky is uh you know just not the way that you're supposed to go about things and you kind of have to kick those thoughts to the curb and lean into it 
anyway. It's like we, we want to make things. It's like if, if something doesn't feel hard, if it doesn't feel difficult, if, if it doesn't feel like you've, you know, climbed a mountain and overcame something, then it almost doesn't feel like it's enough. And sometimes it really is enough if you're just, you know, waking up and finding a spot of joy. It's like, that can be enough. If, well, it doesn't feel like I did anything. It's like, but are you happy with, like, what you stepped into with with what you made contact with and if that's a yes then guess what you're good right where you are it doesn't have to be more than that it doesn't have to be anything fantastical it doesn't have to look like like the dream of the person that's next to you or or how they're connected it it can be your very own thing and I think that's that's hard for us to wrap our heads around sometimes. Well, it certainly wasn't for a lot of us. I think it wasn't supported growing up. And so mm. there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of programming to have to. I mean, at first, it pretty much starts as rebellion. Like you have to be conscious that the voices in your head are telling you that that's not sustainable. That's not realistic. That's, you know, you should have a backup plan, all these things. And then you're faced with this struggle between do I listen to what is considered blatant common sense or do I take a risk and go off on my own whim and suffer the possible consequences? Because it's always about thinking about suffering the possible consequences and very rarely are the possible rewards going to outweigh the risk, like the, the scariness of that risk. So sure. And sometimes the only way we can get past that is to rebel. But by that point, you are overcorrecting and causing yourself to go into another kind of spin out, so to speak. Yeah. And and that's where it's difficult because the trick is to recognize those voices that are steering you away from a challenge mm -hmm. versus your desire to rebel against and and conquer that which seems impossible. Because as much as those sound the same, they're two different things. Sure. When you're in flow, you're you are saying, I'm stepping into this discomfort because I I accept this challenge. When you are rebelling, you are saying, I'm gonna climb that damn mountain if it breaks both my legs and I'm a freaking cripple the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's a huge difference. One makes you stronger. The other breaks you so you can't conquer things in the future. Yeah. So that's ask yourself true. when that comes up, what am I agreeing to here? Am I so angry that I've been denying myself that which I would like to do that I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and and run up that friggin' mountain regardless? Or am I saying, I really want to accomplish this. Let's take this step by step and, and agree to the journey. And the trick is to release the outcome, the expectation on the outcome. If you sure. can step into the journey, like by the time you step into that journey, if you've released the expectation, then you will be on a journey of challenge and it will lead to healthy evolution for you. If you have not released that expectation, it will lead you to a lot of hardship. Which I've done that too. Me too. Absolutely. 
speaking from experience. I think we all have. (laughs) Absolutely. I was trained to. We were trained to. Yeah. Because we watched our parents battle with their own fears and and insecurities, and they passed those on to us because they didn't want us to have to go through it. However, they didn't have the awareness that we have. Yeah. And 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 the awareness is the thing that helps us change our perceptions. Sure. And I think, you know, sometimes we we came into the awareness despite what we went through with with our parents you know it's like they they sometimes that that space of deep unknowing opens up a door to knowing for for us (laughs) i don't i know i I get it i said it and i'm like when i let it wash over me i get it but when i listen to the words i'm like that what (laughs) if that makes sense it slowly fell out of my face. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, now I have to translate that. And how am I going to translate that? So for example. Messages from spirit. <laughs> so for example, <laughs> I I didn't come from a family who supported a lot of the things that I was into. Not not very many of them at all. Not from, from education to uh, spirituality to religion to how I see the world in general and the things that I'm okay with and not just okay with, but the things that I would encourage in other people. Like my family doesn't support a lot of those ideals and it is a huge bone of contention. Um, Even to this day, a lot of those, a lot of those things, but at the same time, if I did not have that very stark contrast you know i i don't know that i would have been able to develop that kind of self knowing and understanding that i have you know you you have to come to the point of well you know i i can love you because you're my family and I can love you for those reasons and you know all of the happy times and 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 wonderful experiences that I have with you but um the areas where I don't agree I'm I'm not going to let the uh the convention of supposed to and should dictate how I actually live my life um you know just it's a choice this is where i get to be myself yeah well and and not only this is where i i get to be myself but this is where becoming myself starts is when i see something and go "Mm, no that Mm -hmm. doesn't that doesn't sit with me Mm -hmm. that doesn't that doesn't settle here that doesn't feel good that doesn't feel Mm -hmm. right um that doesn't feel like a choice that I want to make that doesn't feel like a way I want to go about my life it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like my truth mm-hmm. it doesn't feel authentic to me so I'm you know I'm I'm not going to participate in that and at the same time teaches you compassion because you know 
even though I don't agree and I don't hold a lot of the same convictions that they do, I still care about them. I still love them. It it can frustrate the hell out of me sometimes. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would just love to shake them. But at the same time, it's like, well, but that's, that's the path that they're walking. That's the thing that they need to go through. And, you know, maybe that's what uh, starts the journey for them in the next go around. I don't know. You know what I just saw in my mind's eye was the Goonies where uh, um, Mikey is giving the speech in the wishing well saying, that's their time up there. This is our time down here. Down here. Yeah. <laughs> That's, this is the separation. This you is, know, this is yeah. to the trailhead of where you deviate or differentiate yourself from your parents or your upbringing or your past. That's the trailhead to discovering who you truly are. Yeah. Talk about another nugget Are you, you going to go? Yeah, are you going to go hunt the treasure or are you going to go back up there and, and move and go to a different school and not live in the goondocks anymore? Man. <laughs> There's lots of emeralds to be found and rubies and pearls. And skeletons with patches and daggers in their eyes. Diamond anyway, studded I, we're, patches. We're... <laughs> We're we're delirious now. We're <laughs> we've talked ourselves out. Um, we're spirit so, drunk. <laughs> so every week that we um, put out a podcast, uh, the Saturday after it comes out, we do a little meetup on Discord. You're welcome to join. If we've said things that confuse you, that's your time to ask us questions about what the hell we were talking about. What were we thinking? If There are things we've talked about and you want to know more. Chances are they'll be listed in our insights along with links to find out more about those things. So check there first. And if we forget to put something in the insights, by all means, contact us on any of our social links and reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Well, and if there's something that we haven't talked about yet that you would like us to talk about, let us know. I mean, we don't know unless you tell us, right? True. So... Yeah, fill us in. We're easy to get along with, yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the most part. And until until next time, have a great week, everybody. Yeah.